You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, episode three. T minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. In this episode, we talk to Cassandra Cummings, president of RC Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm, and the founder of the Stocks and Stilettos Society, an investment community of women. She's been working for over 10 years to transform financial lives. I first connected with Cassandra on Instagram. She came on to a IG live broadcast that I was doing to leave a positive word of encouragement when it came to starting and running a business. Later on, we connected in a Facebook group we are both members in, and I did a Facebook live in her Stocks and Stilettos group discussing my own investment strategies. Since then, I've considered Cassandra my virtual goal mother. (laughs) I admire the way she runs her businesses and the way she cultivates and helps her community. Her Stocks and Stilettos group members ride hard for her. I love that about them. In this episode, we cover a lot. We cover the different types of investments someone can invest in, how to begin investing if you only have a little bit amount of money, what to do if you have no idea where to begin, why you shouldn't wait to start investing even if you have debt, how to evaluate a company you want to invest in, what's the next big thing you should look at investing in, and how to get your kids a head start with wealth by teaching them about investing, plus much, much more. This is really an investment 101 course. I really try to dig deep and ask a lot of basic foundation questions that we all should know. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. You can find the show notes for this episode at journeytolaunch.com forward slash episode three. Hello, Cassandra. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. I'm so happy you are one of my first guests on my podcast. And I just had to have you on because investing, which is your specialty and forte, is something that not only I want to learn more about, but my journeyers, my listeners, my readers, they are always asking investing questions. So you're the perfect person to have on to, to talk about this. Great. I'm excited to be here. Good. So before we get started and we jump into the technical stuff, I wanted to get a little sense of who you were, who Cassandra is, the woman behind you know, the brand, Stocks and Stilettos, and everything that you do. So who are you? What's your background? If you can give us like a brief, just history of yourself. Sure. Um, Well, I'm from Northern California. I grew up in Oakland, California, to be exact. And um, I went to school at USC. So I'm a Trojan fight on. (laughs) Um, I've always been a numbers person. And so I actually got my degree in accounting and uh, worked in public accounting for a big four 
public accounting firm, and um, I've sort of been on that track ever since. I have been in financial advisement for a little over 10 years, and so I have been working with a lot of individuals, a lot of nonprofits, corporations, um, small businesses um, over that 10-year period, really helping them grow wealth, cultivate wealth, um, and things of that nature. I'm a licensed financial advisor. I have a Series 7, 6, 65. I'm an investment advisor rep, and I own my own investment advisory firm, by the way. So um, it's just been a natural fit for me to actually you know, bring my message to the masses and help as many you know, women as I can really understand and become confident investors in the stock market. Right. So when I was reading your background, it said that you worked in a few different corporate companies. And, you know, how was your experience with that? Because now you are an entrepreneur. So how was making that leap from being an employee to an essentially an, you know, an employer or someone who is making their own um, job? Well, believe it or not, it wasn't that difficult of a transition because um, a a lot of the companies that I've worked for, at least two of the three that I worked for, were commission-based. And so we basically eat what we kill. (laughs) And so um, it's important that, um, you know, I I basically brought those same skill sets, the same level of uh, sales type of acumen to my entrepreneurial journey and so it, the transition was actually not that difficult because I had I was accustomed to basically going out and working extremely hard for my income. And so that's no different now as an entrepreneur. Um, I work extremely hard. Um, I just recently brought on a team of people to help me with some projects. And so that in and of itself is a little different because I used to only have one assistant. Now I have a team <laughs> of people working uh, working with me. And so um, if anything, that's been a little bit of an adjustment. Well, good for you for um, hiring and getting help because for myself, I'm just, you know, I'm in, in terms I'm just starting to ramp up. And since I work full time still, it's hard to get everything done. So help is necessary. You need to know when to hire out. Yes. So can you, so you mentioned that you were always good with numbers. So did you like, so can you just give us an example or a financial triumph? Um, Did you, did you graduate with student loan debt? Were you always astute with, you know, credit cards? Is there something that maybe you can share with the audience that you've done in your personal finance that, you're proud of? I would say, you know, the thing that I did that I was proud of as a single parent is that I um, saved a lot of money on my own and I was able to buy my first house um, in my, I think I bought it, was that early 30s? So I, and I worked extremely hard. I was a teacher at that time. I was a seventh grade math teacher in uh, LA Unified School District, and I was working my butt off. I was doing tutoring, I was doing uh, cheerleading, whatever they wanted to pay me to do. Um, you know, I was like, I was raising my hand, sign me up, how much is, I'll cover a class. Right. <laughs> I was working 
extremely hard to put that money aside so that I could buy a house for me and my daughter. And um, I was able to realize that dream in 2000, I think it was 2007, 2008. can't remember. It's been so long. <laughs> Well, that's excellent. That's I mean, I didn't I didn't know that you were a teacher. So you basically the what you teach now, you can you probably you're taking some of that experience from when you actually were a teacher in the school system. So that's probably Absolutely. why you have a knack for helping others. Yeah, I was a teacher for four years um, and I taught at one school and I'll never forget it. The principal interviewed me. He asked me three questions and he was like, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. The shortest interview ever. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Stocks and Stilettos. And then you do have another company, right? RC Wealth Management. So tell us a little bit about both those companies yeah. and what you do. So with RC Wealth Management, it's a registered investment advisory firm. And we basically are a full service firm. We manage money. We do insurance solutions. Um, financial planning, investment advisory. Um, so we basically cover the entire gamut in terms of financial services. Um, we offer a lot of different products, annuities, um, insurance-based products. We do investment-related products. And so RC Wealth Management really um, was born out of really my passion and belief that these types of financial services, even from a wealth management standpoint, should be accessible to everyone. Um, so no matter how large or how small your fortune may be, you still um, should have access to wealth management services. So that's kind of where RC Wealth Management was born out of, and I named it after my dad, Robert Cummings. Um, so that's where the RC comes from. And the other uh, Stocks and Stiletto Society was really kind of created because when I was working with these Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies and working with clients, I didn't have a lot of people that looked like me sitting across the table. And so when I looked at the research, it was saying that the net worth of a single African-American woman was somewhere around $5 versus a white woman, which was in the neighborhood of about 15000 Wow! And so there was a study done by a PhD out of the Insight uh, Community Center. I think her name was Mariko Chang, who did this study years ago, I think maybe 2010, and it highlighted this huge discrepancy in net worth between African-American women and white women. And so that kind of signified for me that there had to be an education gap between the two. And so that's why Stocks and Stilettos was created, because I think it it needed um, it needed to be born. We needed to have somebody that looked like me come out and really educate black women on investing and growing wealth. Right. I mean, I think that's pretty important. And of course, you know, for our community, like you said, the demographic, you know, not only being African-American, but also being a woman, because then even if you look at women, you know, versus men who are sitting at these boardroom tables or the net worth, it's, it's a discrepancy there too. So I think it's wonderful that you are, you know, targeting African-American women, but just women 
in general right because right you know. because women have the women have a different set of challenges so we need to basically manage and grow our money differently than men typically women live longer than men uh typically we spend less time in the workforce i mean a man spends on average 40 years in the workforce whereas women on average spend 27 years in the workforce. So that 13 years of not being able to earn, uh, whether you take off to take care of kids or raise children or care for elderly parents, that could be a significant, um, you know, time loss in terms of income generation. And so there are some other challenges that women face. Um, maybe, you know, it's not necessarily race based, but you know, these are challenges in that we need to basically manage around those those challenges a little differently. Right, right. So that kind of leads us into now the more technical questions, because as I said, you know, a lot of uh, my journeyers, you know, they're always asking me investing questions or they want to know more about investing. And to be quite honest for myself, uh, it's something that I am still learning. It's not my expertise. And so even uh, this year was the first year that we invested in outside of our retirement accounts in index funds. And so I know there are a a lot of ways to invest. So we'll get into all that. But can you just like basic, basic break down the different types of investments there are? So I I like index investing, mutual funds. It's it's what some consider the quote unquote lazy way to invest because you can just (laughs) put your money in there and forget it, which is kind of like what I like doing. But, you know, there are ways in which you teach. You teach a lot about, you know, selecting specific stocks and following specific industries. So can you just go through the different types of investments one can invest in? Sure. I'll start with the most conservative. So usually you can you know, start with uh, CDs, uh, these types of products, uh, which are where you want to place safe money. Um, And and so it's not necessarily safe per se, because you have, um, you know, you have inflation there that can erode the power of the dollar in your CD. So I try not to have people put too much money in CDs if they don't have to or if they're not close to retirement or something like that. As we move further down the chain, then we come to fixed income. So those could be bond funds. uh, Those could be bond ETFs. So things that are going to pay either municipal bond rates or corporate bond rates. And then we move to what are called equities. So when we go to equities, we are looking at stocks, we're looking at individual stocks, we're looking at ETFs, we're looking at mutual funds, we're looking at um, a number of different equity-based products. Um, You could also count in some annuity products in that pool, Um, but as we move up the chain, we're looking at real estate and you can buy real estate ETFs. You can do real estate crowdfunding. So there are a lot of different real estate products now that are on the market um, for investors. And then lastly, uh, there's commodities. And so usually if you have gold, silver, mm-hmm. now we have these blockchain technologies such as Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and things of that nature that would probably fit more so in that commodities 
realm. So those are kind of like the five asset classes. And so those are different investment products um, that are available for investment purposes. Right. Now, just hearing you go through that list, right? It's that's a lot, <laughs> right? So for someone who is not comfortable or who is just just not get it all, like what should someone do if they have no clue on where to start? Like, how do they even begin? Right. So if you're starting at ground zero, I always recommend that you maybe start off with an app like an Acorns or a Stash or something like that to sort of get your toe in the water. Um, and that way you are in some sort of ETF that's already selected for you. And so that way you can sort of start to see what's happening to your money. You're up one day, you're down the next day, up again the following day. So you kind of get an idea of how your money is going to be moving overall. You could also do Robinhood, which is another great app if you're looking to buy individual stocks with no commission. Um, and so that also could be a great way for you to get, you know, to, to enter the stock market. Um, there are also what are called robo-advisors. So robo-advisors will select a portfolio for you of ETFs and mutual funds, and they make the selection for you based on where you want to eventually end up in terms of your financial objectives. So they have come out with a lot of different solutions for people who are just getting started. If you want to do it on your own, you can start off with a you know very basic ETF with Vanguard or Fidelity or something like that and get started that way as well if you um, don't want to go about picking individual stocks just yet. So then just just to back up a little bit. So when you said Acorn or Stash, so these are apps that you can download and I think it's you can hook up your bank account and then select not, not individual stocks, but like ETFs and things of that nature. Right. So you basically go in and you pick based on your risk tolerance or your risk appetite. And so based on, you know, how much risk you want to take on they have ETF portfolios in which your money will be directed towards. So if you want to get started, maybe you're conservative, you don't really want to throw all your money in the fire just yet, you could do something like a moderate portfolio or something moderately aggressive, and you can kind of see how the money's going to move around in those type of ETFs. But I wouldn't recommend you necessarily start off in a very conservative portfolio because your money's not going to grow a whole lot in those portfolios. And that's what you want. You want the appreciation. Right. And so when you mentioned Robinhood, that's a separate type of company or? Yeah, Robinhood is a trading app. Okay. And so they allow you to buy ETFs and individual stocks at no cost. So you basically buy Whole Foods or you buy Michael Kors without paying a commission for those stocks. So if you want to buy Apple at 147 a share, you're going to buy it at 147 a share and not pay an additional fee on top of that for buying that stock. So Robinhood has been uh, a game changer for beginning investors. So how does Robinhood make money if they don't charge you then to 
invest through them? So I believe their revenue model um, has something to do with either ads or they they may have something to do with um, the number of users on their platform um, in which they might be getting some sort of kickback from certain companies. I'm not sure about their revenue model. Right. Now, that's fair because I'm asking because when I hear of you know, that there's no charge, like that's wonderful, especially for a lot of people who don't have a lot of money to invest, that the fact that they can have such access to investments without a charge is huge, right? And so I always, I guess it's the skeptic skeptic in me (laughs) that wonders, okay, but then how do they make money? But you're, you know, it seems like they probably have something figured out. And then with the robo advisors, they do charge a fee to select a portfolio for you. Yeah, so the robo-advisors can charge a fee from a quarter of a percentage on up to, you know, as high as 1% to manage the money for you. The lowest I've seen is actually Charles Schwab has free uh, a free robo-advisor platform. So it just depends on who you're, you know, who you go with. There's Betterment, there's Wealthfront, there's Elvest. I mean, there are a lot of different robo-advisors in the market now. And the term robo-advisor, is it because they you basically, like what, is it is it the, the, derived from robot? Or like what is, I always wondered what the robo term really <laughs> came from. It's basically your money on autopilot. Okay. You, you, don't, you don't have any interaction with um, a person. Uh, there's no advisor on the other side that you can talk to. Um, basically, you put your money in the machine and it spins. And hopefully you get to where you want to go with, <laughs> with right. the robo-advisor. So it's like all algorithms and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's computers. Like okay. I mean, it's kind of like a mutual fund. You put your money in a mutual fund or an ETF and it just does its thing. Right, right. So then that leads to how much do you need to start investing? Because one of the barriers to, to investing for a lot is people feel like they don't have enough to start. So what do you say to that about how much it takes to start investing? Right, I... I want to say the good thing about this day and age, this is like the best time to be an investor because these types of apps and solutions were not on the market 10 years ago when I started in the business. So if you want to start with no money down, I know this sounds like an infomercial, (laughs) no money down, you can sign up for Acorns and connect your bank account and it'll invest the change. So you basically can start with no money. Now, if you want to work with a financial advisor or something like that, you have to come with assets. I mean, because that's kind of how we uh, we get compensated uh, with assets under management. But there are a lot of different solutions for people. If you want to open up a Vanguard account, if you want to open up a Fidelity account, T. Rowe Price, Putnam. I mean, there are a ton of different companies out there that will help you get started with, you know, very little money. You can start with like a thousand dollars for a lot of these companies. Some of them have maybe higher minimums, like three to five thousand, to to get started on their platforms. But right now, it's a great time because you don't really have to come in with tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars like you did back, you know, ten years ago. 
Right, right. So in terms of just, you know, the money is one of the barriers that people will say kind of prevents them from starting. And then some other ones that I've heard are not knowing where to begin, which we kind of covered. But then just being afraid. It's just the fear of the market. So, I mean, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, people are very fearful of losing money. Uh, They, you know, the stock market has been very intimidating. They've heard horror stories, people losing their shirt, people losing a fortune. And to be honest with you, in this business that I've worked for over 10 years, I don't even recall anybody losing that much money that scared them out of the market. And usually if there is a correction in the market, the market will then recorrect and recover as long as you stay in there. So um, over time, I mean, this is how Warren Buffett became rich. He put his money in and basically over a series of years, his money, you know, exploded and he would not have been able to become a billionaire that he is had he not waited it out in the stock market. The stock market is about time. You have to give your money time. It's like, you know, seasoning. You have to, the money has to get seasoned. Mm. So if you're not in the market, it's not going to get seasoned. You're not going to cook up the wealth without it being in the market. Right. You take it out. I guess that you can liken it to, you know, putting it in the oven, but taking it out too early and it's raw. It can't, you can't eat it. So it's, doesn't make yeah, it it's, it's a waste right 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 so it so you talked about the different ways in which you can invest now let's say someone only doesn't have a thousand dollars they have a hundred now you mentioned they can go to something like they can start at an acorn or a stash or robin hood so those you would say maybe then those apps or those vehicles are for people who who don't have maybe the thousands of dollars to invest they can start Absolutely. there and then, you know, for people who maybe have, you know, 500, 1,000 that they can stand to invest, they can maybe go to like a Vanguard or the robo-advisors that you talked about. Um, most of the robo-advisors won't take you at that price point. Um, so, you know, usually robo-advisors probably want, they will probably start at around five grand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just because it costs money to run the, the platform. But if you're in that sweet spot between, say, 500 and 5,000, you can probably just open up a regular brokerage account on your own with Schwab or Merle Edge or Fidelity, and you can basically buy ETFs and individual stocks on your own um, that way. Or, you know, like I said, Schwab has a free robo-advising program, and so you can look into that um, for your money if you're sort of in between that that sweet spot right now and another way that people can invest that you know i don't know if it's really well known but you can invest through your retirement accounts like in index funds or etfs or certain like types of accounts right so can you talk a little bit about how one who maybe doesn't have the extra cash to invest but they have a uh, you know, 401k or 403b or even an Roth IRA, how they can now use the funds in that to divert to different types of investments. Right. So usually if you are um, a W-2 employee, you have a 401k, a 403b, a 457, 
a thrift savings plan. Uh, these are all workplace types of retirement plans. So usually they have, uh, you know, some sort of investment lineup for you to allocate, you know, pre-tax money to. Some of them even have um, provided options to employees where they can open up an account within their workplace retirement account to buy individual stocks or have access to other investment products outside of the ones that are offered just through the plan because those investment options are typically limited. They're not going to give you like hundreds of choices. If you have a 401k or 403b, you're doing good if you have 20 funds to choose from. Mm. And so um, there is a way for you to basically allocate your money across a number of different funds so you can maximize your return while you're working um, at those workplace retirements, uh, work, while you're working uh, there with the company. Now, a Roth IRA is a little different. You may have access to a Roth 401k or a Roth 403b um, in your workplace plan. And if you do, you want to take advantage of those types of retirement accounts. But if you don't, you definitely want to have a Roth IRA account, which um, Basically, you can invest in a whole lot of different products outside of your workplace retirement account. Right. So when we talk about like investing, right, and, you know, people, they can invest in different types of options. Do you have a personal preference um, like in what you like to do or are you do you kind of like choose a lot or a combination of things? I choose a combination of things. Um, you know, my Roth IRA is pretty aggressive because that's a tax-free account. So I want that account to be on fire, basically. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to grow that account to infinity if I can. So I, you know, that account to be explosive for me at some point. Anything that I earn in that account is going to come out tax-free. Um, I do have a SEP IRA, which is a Simplified Employee Pension IRA, um, and that's because I'm an entrepreneur. I have an LLC, and I can save a significant amount of money in there. Um, that one has a different type of strategy on it. It's probably, I would say it's probably more moderate. I have companies, and I have some ETFs in that account, um, but those that's primarily some dividend type stocks and ETFs in there. So I don't really have um, a lot of risk on that uh, SEP IRA. And then I have my brokerage account. Um, so I play around in that one. That one I've traded options in. So I do a lot of, you know, risky type stuff in that account <laughs> from time to time when I, when I have time to focus on it. But my brokerage account, um, is a little different from my retirement accounts, um, if you will. Um, what else? And then I just have, you know, I have a number of different just banking accounts for different different uh, reasons, business, personal, vacation, um, I have a ton of taxes. Yeah, so, yeah, I have a, a number of different accounts for different right, reasons. diverse. So yeah. What would you recommend then? Do you think that someone should, if someone has a lot of debt, so maybe they have student loans or credit card 
uh, debt, should they pay that off first before investing outside of like whether it's retirement accounts or just investing in general? What do you recommend? Absolutely not. I think you should be investing because, again, it's time in the market that you need. So, you know, out of your money that you have going to debt, you probably can split it. You know, 70 percent of your money goes to paying off the debt and 30 percent of your money is going towards um, investments, because at some point that debt's going to come down and your investments are going to come up. And so you need to have time in the market for you to get that appreciation. Now, I will say what you need to do first is have an emergency fund. Mm. So you need to have an emergency fund, I would say at least one month at the bank and then probably another three to six months outside in a high yield online savings account. And then you should be ready to invest. But you want to make sure you have an emergency fund because what you don't want to do is have to liquidate your investments to take care of an emergency. Right. Now, I think that's a good point because, you know, a lot of people do follow the Dave Ramsey method and then other more conservative types of financial uh, professionals that would say, you know, you need to pay off all your debt first and then invest. And while I agree with you that, you lose out on that time value of money, though. The, the time that it takes for your money to appreciate, you'll lose that. Um, so I do think there is a way to balance both, you know, an aggressive payoff strategy, yet then yeah. ramping up your investment so you don't lose out on that time. Yeah, even if it's an 80-20 payoff, you're putting 80% to debt, 20% to investments, you have to be in the market, especially if you're a woman. You can't afford not to be. Right, right. And when you say investments, do you also mean also the retirement accounts as investments? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. That's, yeah, that's money in the market. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'd ask my uh, Facebook group for just some questions that they might have for, they didn't know it was you. <laughs> I just said I was talking to an <laughs> investment professional. <laughs> and I took some questions. So they were very, they had a lot of good questions. Um, and I just wanted to go through some of them. We did discuss a bunch, but we talked about um, where to start and how much. Someone asked, so Anna asked, how do you know that the information on the stocks are accurate? So I guess where the information is coming from. I mean, that's that's usually across all, like a platform. It's a standard, like s- return or amount, right, that you'd see? Yeah, I mean, typically the, the the companies that are traded on New York Stock Exchange, companies that are traded on the NASDAQ, they have reporting requirements. They have to file quarterly uh, financial statements. They have to be audited financial statements that are filed. And so um, that's, that's the purpose of having these big four uh, accounting firms to to basically bless these financials and say, you know, these uh, financial statements are um, materially stated and that protects you as an investor so that you can make rational decisions based, about, based off of this financial information. Most of the apps like Yahoo Finance, apps that are connected to your brokerage account, 
they're going to have that financial information loaded up on the site. So you don't really have to go to the SEC filings. You don't have to go to the FINRA filings to pull that information. It's readily available, whereas before we did. We had to go and request it. (laughs) Right. So if someone was interested in a company kind of along that lines and they wanted to research it more, what should they do? Is it just a put in the company in Google or should they go to a specific site? So, yeah, I mean, you can, you can uh, Google it. You can go to their annual report. You can go to Yahoo Finance. You could go to CBS. I think it's Market Watch, uh, Wall Street Journal. There are a lot of different sites now that you can go to to extract financial information. Um, you know, as investment advisors, we deal with a lot of proprietary software where that gives us a lot of analytics. And so it's it's kind of overkill for the average investors. So you don't really need that. But most apps now, you know, give you some basic financial information for you to take a look at. And you really want to look at, you know, sort of three things. One, you want to look at, you know, what is what is management's growth plan? You know, what are they doing to grow the, the company? Are they going to deliver new products, new services? Are they going into new territories, new geographic locations? So you really want to get to the heart of, you know, what is this company doing to grow the company? Uh, what's management doing? Um, the second thing you want to look at, do they have a competitive advantage? Are they first to market with this particular product? Do they have a, a significant market cap? Uh, when it comes to this particular industry that helps you as an investor as well. Um, if they're doing really well and they have a significant portion of the market, that's going to be security for you as an investor. Um, and then the third thing you probably want to take a look at is the financial health of the company. Do they have a lot of debt? I mean, it's just like for any individual that's carrying a lot of debt that puts you at risk. So you want to see if they're financially healthy, are they managing their money properly? I mean, Apple has like billions of dollars in cash. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, just like with anybody else, if you're sitting on a ton of cash, you're probably going to be an attractive investor um, for someone to come out and want to invest in you. Just like with a company, if you see a lot of cash on their books, that's probably a signal that they're financially healthy as long as they have minimal to almost no debt. Uh, I think most companies can't really get around debt. They do a little bit of debt financing. Um, but for the most part, those are the three things. Management, growth plan. You want to look at do they have a competitive advantage? And then you want to look at the financial health of the company. And you can find all that like in the company prospectus or the annual statements that they release. Yeah. And you can also look at, you know, things on on the apps, the Yahoo Finance app. Um, All of that information is readily available now. Right. Okay. And so Shalia asks, what books would you recommend for a first time investor? For a first-time investor, I would probably recommend something like um, Girl, Make Your Money Grow, which is a cute one. Um, That one was co-authored by Gail Perry Mason, I believe is her name. Um, She's out of of Oppenheimer, 
So her and another financial professional teamed up to write that book, and it's uh, pretty easy to get through. Um, I have a lot of other books that I could recommend. Uh, you've got Robert Kiyosaki, his uh, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. We actually read that in the Stocks and Stilettos group. We read um, another book called um, Invest Like a Girl, Warren Buffett, uh, Warren Buffett Invest Like a Girl. That's actually a really good one, too. Talks a lot about temperament. Um, and how women are very patient when they do invest. And that ha that actually bodes well for them as investors. So there's a lot of different books out there. Um, I would probably start with one of those um, to help you kind of get your feet wet. Guide to Investing, that's probably a little bit more sophisticated. But the um, Invest Like a Girl, like Warren Buffett, um, that's a good one to maybe start with. Okay, and I'll I'll link or I'll reference these books that Cassandra is mentioning in the show notes so that you guys can look them up. And so another question Shalia had, which I also wanted to uh, expand on is, what are the top industries to invest in? What should, like, what's the next quote unquote big thing? Now, I know you mentioned like the cryptocurrencies and bitcoins are very popular uh, and then I know that marijuana stocks, like those, that's more of an industry type of investment. But what are the things that uh, investors should be looking out for that's on the horizon, that's the next big thing? You know, if I knew what that would be, <laughs> I would not be here <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, there are, you know, there are opportunities in every industry. So, I mean, people are innovative. They are very creative. So new in you know, new and innovative things are being created all the time. So you can find opportunities in a lot of different industries. There are 12 different sectors. Um, and so, you know, there's innovation going on in every single sector. Now, I have taught the marijuana masterclass. I'm doing the cryptocurrencies masterclass. Um, these are just very sexy, very trendy topics right now. People are making money in them, but these, you know, these industries and these sort of investment products are sort of kind of in their infancy. Um, marijuana stocks, you know, it they're starting to really kind of uh, blossom and kind of blow up right now because people are taking notice. So there are a lot of different um initiatives. There are a lot of different opportunities on the horizon for cannabis type companies. And there are large cap companies. There are very large reputable companies like Pfizer and AbbVie and Scott's miracle Grow that are tapping in to the marijuana industry and making a ton of money um, while doing it. With the cryptocurrencies, we've got, you know, Bitcoin, that takes up about 40% of the market, but there are over 70 other cryptocurrencies that people don't even really know about that can um, position your, your fund to make you know a ton of money. And so the cryptocurrency class will sort of unknow some of these other opportunities in the uh, blockchain technology space, if you will. Okay. Um that's that's good. I mean, it's funny because, yes, if if we knew the next big thing, then <laughs> we'd be set. We wouldn't 
<laughs> we wouldn't be talking right now. We'd be on an island somewhere, right? Right. So, okay. Um, the next question Alicia asked, which we talked about a little bit. We talked about the different types of brokerage accounts you can open and the different companies you can go to. But how do you find a broker um, or select a broker? Like, what are the criteria that you should follow? Right. So there's two different types of um, brokers, if you will. There's a full service broker, and uh, those are going to be your Morgan Stanley's, your Merrill Lynch, um, Edward, Edward and Jones. So those are full service type brokers. And usually when you uh, are looking at those types of brokerages, you have to come in with a certain asset minimum. And typically it's about 250000 or above. And those have to be liquid investable assets to really work with a full service broker. Now, uh, most likely for your audience and for um, a lot of people that are in my group, the Stocks and Stiletto Society, they are probably looking and vetting discount brokers, discount online brokers, because you don't have to have any money to open up a, uh, an account with them online and um, you could basically start trading right away. So if you have a discount broker you're looking at, you want to look at the commissions to trade. You want to look at the customer service. Can you reach someone at, you know, 12 o'clock at night? If you have a question, you have a burning question and you, you know, are you able to, you know, do an online live chat or something? So you want to look at your customer service. You want to look at, you know, transfer fees. What if you don't like a certain firm that you're with and you want to move from firm A to firm B? How much is that going to cost you to move your account? Um, so those are, again, hidden fees, hidden costs that you may not be aware of going in. But you need to know just in case you decide down the road that you want to, hey, I changed my mind. I didn't like how this person talked to me on the phone and I'm going to move my money. <laughs> so it's good to know that up front. Right. OK. And then lastly, Cindy asked, how do you get your kids involved um, with investing or how do you start your kids or teens off with investing? You know, I think. The thing to do is really just talk about, um, you know, talk about money. One thing that I did with her on the way to school, we would listen to uh, the financial news. I think it was, you know, on the fives or something. And they would come on and they would talk about what was going on in the stock market. The Dow Jones went up this many points. The NASDAQ went up this many points. And so, um, you know, we she became very comfortable talking about these different types of, um, you know, indices. And not only that, they also talk about companies, different things that the companies were doing. So we heard when Apple was releasing new phones, we heard when, you know, uh, a company was being investigated by the SEC. Um, and so those were conversation starters for us to then sort of begin talking about other things. I think if you have little kids, I think I would probably do financial uh, flashcards. Mm. I, I would do flashcards with my little ones and just have basic financial terms, you know, a stock, interest rate, um, you know, a bank account, Roth IRA. I would just lay out a basic set of um, 
you know, flashcards for them and then, you know, start conversations from that. And I think that would be a fun project for them. You can even open up a custodial account and they could buy their first share. You could put, you know, $100 in there and you could buy a share of Mattel or something that they use, um, you know, a toy that they play with. And now they can have the understanding of going from consumer to being an owner in that company of a toy or something that they use. So um, those are great ways to get kids introduced to investing um, that don't require a lot up front. Right. And I like I like that a lot of it is the soft skills. It's the mentality and getting your kids comfortable around just concepts, because you're right. It doesn't necessarily take any money to start getting them at least involved or aware of how money works and how investing works. And I love the idea of flashcards. So I have I have a three year old and a one year old. So they're pretty young. (laughs) But, you know, I already (laughs) even now talk about just all right, you know, that this needs to be paid for, you know, like just the idea of money and product and that we can't just walk out the store with this it has to be paid for and so I like the idea of then now even looking at the things that they like and when they're a little older and transitioning it more from okay you want to buy this let's look this up and how about we buy it in another you know way we we become an owner of this company Right. I mean, if you have teenagers, you can have them go through their room and make a list of all the brands that they have in their room. And then they can, you know, make flashcards with ticker symbols and look up the the stock prices um, for those brands and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of ways to get, you know, teens involved. Um, I think the best way is to really just have an account open for them where they can buy stocks on their own. Um, you know, my daughter, we, we've been buying stocks since she was, you know, 12, 13. Um, and so she has her own account now. Um, and, and that so was a I custodial think, account that you did for her? Yes, yeah, a custodial account. And then you can also have just a minor savings account if they're, you know, that young. They can also have a minor savings account. So you take them to the bank and they put their $10 in there. They put their $10, $20 in there. So they become very familiar with the banking process as well. And so as they become young adults, they're not intimidated by going into these institutions and asking questions and making sure they're getting the service that they deserve as a um, patron of these types of institutions. So you can start them off very early, introduce them to these um, institutions, introduce them to stock tickers and buy stock. Right. That's great tips. So I just wanted to um, wrap up and just say thank you so much for coming on and enlightening us, teaching us about investing. I want you to let everyone know where they can find you and all the great things that you have coming up. Well, we have some, uh, you know, exciting things coming up. We have a Stocks to Star ambassador program that we're going to roll out here soon uh, for all of our Stocks to Stars that want to share our community with their, um, you know, social media friends and followers. And then we have a membership site that we're going to be rolling out here in July for people who want to really get, you know, tips and information on how to really grow their money. And then uh, we have an investment club model that we're going to roll out 
this summer for women who want to participate in cooperative pool money together and buy those Amazon stocks and buy the Google stocks. And then where you can find me, uh, the best place to find me is in our private Facebook group at bit.ly backslash stocks and stilettos. And I'm also on the Internet. Um, our website is stocksandstilettos.co. And I'm also on Instagram at Stocks and Stilettos. So um, I'm not I'm not difficult to find at all. <laughs> right. No, and I'll, I'll link and for everyone, I'll link her contact information and where you can find her. I definitely recommend the Stocks and Stilettos group, the Facebook group. It's a great introduction to investing. Um, so thank you so much again, Cassandra, for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Wow. So how was that? Thank you, Cassandra, once again for coming on and giving us so much great information about investing. I want to just point out two things from this interview that really stood out for me. Um, One was Cassandra mentioning that you should not wait to start investing even if you have debt. I thought that was important to note because I get that question a lot. Um, I know that there are a lot of financial gurus and people, even myself, that once probably focused on paying off debt first and making that a priority. And while I do think that is still a priority, I do agree with Cassandra that if you don't find a way to start investing now, so in your current situation, even if it's, you know, just a portion of what you can do. It's not, you know, it's not like you're just investing and ignoring your debt. It's important because if you don't, you miss out on that time value of having your money grow. So I like that she kind of, she, she stated that clearly that she thinks you should also invest while paying off debt. So it's really up to you to decide how much you can allot to paying off debt and then investing. Also, I loved her ideas and just tips on getting your kids, our kids involved with investing. I mean, it is so important to help give our kids a help a, a head start. So one of the articles that I had recently read was about a woman who was retiring by 40. She was a millionaire and she learned about investing through her parents and bought like a Starbucks stocks at like 13 years old. And that stood out to me because, you know, at 13, my like I didn't have the means or I didn't have the knowledge and neither did my parent or my mom really understand how to show me how to invest. So can you imagine if as parents, if you're a parent, how if we begin talking to our kids about investing from now, even if it's just the soft skills of explaining certain terms and, you know, if they're interested in a certain brand or toy you know, diverting them or helping them realize that, hey, you can own this toy and or you can own this company. And I just think it's so important and so great to get our kids involved early. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Please tell me what you like most about it. Connect with me on social media at Journey to Launch. Once again, you can join the Facebook group, Journey to Launch. And also, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and just tell a friend to tell a friend about this podcast. It's how I will grow and get to reach more people. All right. Thanks. Once again, you can find the show notes to this podcast 
episode at journeytolaunch.com forward slash episode three.